You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You worked all week. Work, 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 work. You didn't have time to look at your fantasy lineups. Son of a But don't be afraid. That's why we give you Weekend Fantasy Update. Woohoo! Here are your hosts, Joe Galina, Frank Stample, and Mike Florio. Welcome to Weekend Fantasy Update. I'm Michael Florio. I will not be joined by Frank Stample or Joe Galina this week. Frank's out celebrating his girlfriend's birthday. Joe has basement flooding, he says. I think he's just burying bodies in his basement. (laughs) I am joined, though, by CTM Baseball's Matt Modica. The fantasy Lucifer, if you will. Last week I had the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other. Today I just have the devil, so who knows how this is going to go. Yeah, it's uh, hot in the city. In the city, it's hot in the studio. So uh, let's get this done. <laughs> yeah, it, it's too hot in here. I, I asked them to cool it down. But Matt, I'm just gonna—is Barreto big enough to have a Barreto day? I mean, the Oakland A's are kind of hoping after trading uh, Josh Donaldson. I mean, this kid has to pan out for them for that trade to have any kind of rem- any kind of hope. I mean. Just look what Josh Donaldson has done these last couple of seasons. Uh, Billy Bean was once a genius. I think uh, you know. I think that star has dimmed a bit over the last few years. And I was gonna say, have, have you like? Do you think Billy Bean is kind of trying to be the story of the Oakland A's now? And oh yeah, most most definitely. I think the last few years he's become you know since the movie, right? Yeah, like, he's kind of like you know it's. Sometimes you're trying to be too smart. I mean, Joe Madden is a very good manager, but I think sometimes he tries to outsmart himself in in, in many scenarios. And I think that's what happened with, with Billy Bean. I know the A's are hamstrung and stuff, but there was no reason to get rid of Josh Donaldson at that point. Trade, and look what he turned into. I mean, if you're an A's fan, anybody that's... If Ryan Healy say turns out to be something really good, he's having a, he's having a good season. He he's going to get traded next year. I mean, they have Sean Manaya, a kid that I love. It's you're just waiting for you know you're waiting a year or two, and these kids are going to get moved. What more prospects? At some yeah, point, it, you have to start. It, it's a, it must be really annoying too, because at least like with other teams like the Rays, we saw them go for for a couple mm-hmm. years, and then they the A's are just constantly rebuilding. I, I know they had those two seasons. Where you know they they were the best team in the AL in the regular season, but why, like they had Josh Donaldson under team control for so long, they traded him. Brett Lowry clearly didn't work out. Uh, yeah, I mean Brett Lowry for what he's doing this year, yeah. But I mean the uh, the worst part about it too is they don't even have a have a nice stadium. You can say you know <laughs> a brand new stadium that's nice that you can go hang out there. I, I mean I haven't been there, but I hear it's awful. I've been to Tampa Bay, and that stadium is yeah, Tampa is Bay awful. is horrible. That yeah. is like it's. <laughs> It's an architectural nightmare, is what it yeah, really is, too. Yeah. The coolest part is when you walk in and you can pet the stingrays and all that. <laughs> but when we come back, we're going to talk about Barreto Day. We're going to talk about all the latest baseball news. And then the second hour, all fantasy football. We're going to join, be joined by a Vikings writer, figure out which Vikings running back you want to own. We have a, a fun show planned, so stay tuned for more Weekend Fantasy Update.
Welcome back to the Weekend Fantasy Update. Before the break, we said we were going to celebrate a little Franklin Barreto Day. So, Matt, if he's out there, I mean, he should be on, picked up in all leagues now, correct? Like, Well, I mean, deeper leagues, definitely. I mean, I'll take a shot on him, too, in uh, you know, like 12-team leagues. I don't know about 10-team t- leagues. I don't think he's needed to get. But, I mean, I don't know what I'm expecting from uh, Franklin Barreto. I mean, is he going to steal a ton of bases? No. Is he going to hit a ton of home runs? I don't think so. At least not yet. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to be interested. I want, I, you know, if I can get him and, and even just put him on my bench to see what happens, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to take that shot. Because now that he's called up, he's going to get the playing time. But I think, you know, it's like the case with most. This isn't like Cody Bellinger coming up where you have, like, light tower power. Or, I say, a prospect coming up that has, like, a that's going to steal you 25 bases the rest of the season. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm excited. I do love seeing young players come up. This is a guy that, as I mentioned previously before the break, the A's are pretty much banking on has to be good for them. He's going to have to turn out to be a solid Major League Baseball player. I, I've said this in the past, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm just not as high on him as other people are. Like, like Frank loves... Loves him some Barreto. I, I get it. He'll be a solid average hitter. I mean, throughout the minor leagues, you know, the last couple of years he's been like a 280 hitter, but we've seen him hit 300 before. Never a great OBP guy. He doesn't have good plate discipline, and that's what worries me a bit. The higher and higher he got in the minor leagues, the worse his strikeout rate became, the worse his walk rate became. This year, I mean, just 5.5% walk rate in AAA what, compared to almost 30% strikeout rate. Like you said, I mean... He has some power. He has some speed. I mean, we've seen him steal 30 bases last year in Double A, but this year in 68 AAA games, just four stolen bases, eight homers. There is some power speed there, and I mean, from the position that he plays and everything, that there is value to be had there. But, I, I mean, if, if I own him, I think now is what I'm trying to sell. I do this with a lot of young players, though. It's like the new car thing. Once you take it out out of the lot, it it, it depreciates right there. And like you said, he did steal thirty bases in twenty sixteen at Double A in High A or in A ball. He stole twenty nine bases in twenty fourteen, but he's only stolen four this year. And it gets harder to steal bases in the major leagues. The pitchers have a lot better moves and stuff. Catchers have better arms. And once again, I'm excited for this kid. I want to see him. I hope he's good. I'm going to be putting bids out tomorrow for him. I don't think I'm going to get him because he's going to go for, I think, a lot more than he's worth. I think he's a player that I'm not really sure what I'm going to get in 2017, but maybe 2018. Let him get let him get some seasoning first, but you know we'll see how we'll we'll see how it works out. I mean, at this point, you know we have ha- almost half a season left, so you got to be pretty much interested. In any pitcher, due to the current landscape of, of pitching, and any prospect that comes up, I mean, I was bidding on Derek Fisher last week, and he got sent yeah. Down. That that's the thing, though. I, I've missed out on all these prospects because I'm not willing to spend as much as others. Like Bradley Zimmer, you had to spend like 25 percent of your fab, and people who have, I've seen him cut in a couple of leagues already. I, they're points leagues, the ones I've seen him cut in, so it's a little different. But Ian Happ, Derek Fisher, these guys were going for huge amounts of fab, and I. I I always fear that yeah you could get the Cody Bellinger, but more often than not, you're mm-hmm. going to get a guy who isn't going to be worth that fab. I have Bellinger in most of my draft and hold leagues. I mean, one of the one of the bonuses of going to the uh, first pitch Arizona and going to the uh, Fall Stars league is getting to see these 
people play. And I got to see him play, and I was like, this is a guy that I will be owning and, and taking a shot on late in these drafting holds. And I did bid $600 on him in one league, and I, and, and I did get him. And, he, you know, he's been great, but where does he go from here? My argument has been he's been making that adjustment this last month. He came out the first couple of weeks, was hitting 350 or whatever. We knew he was th- that was going to come down. And he did struggle for a while. He, he had a couple home runs, but he had like a 45 at bat stretch where he was striking out like half, 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 uh, half of the time. But I think he's making the adjustments. That's what I look to see with these young kids. And for the most part, some of them are going to struggle. Or even like Barreto, maybe he gets off for a hot month and then has has the that, correction. That's why I do agree with you. I I there are I am interested for this year, but I think the real value for him is next year because he probably will go through a stretch where he struggles this year and makes those adjustments. It, it's just the natural cause of a, of a rookie in, in baseball. And I will say this though. I, like I said, I like to shop these guys now. Once Glaber Torres got promoted to AAA, I was trying to shop him in the leagues mm-hmm. I had him in. Obviously, he had Tommy John, so he's gone for the year. But we will see a number of high-name prospects coming up soon. We will see Mancada. We will see Ahmed Rosario. We will see potentially Willie Adamas on the Rays. So there are a lot of guys with similar skill sets. Yeah, like Mancada is someone I'm really excited. I have him in a few leagues on my bench. and Mancada should already be owned universally, I believe. Yeah, no, the that's definite. And in, in leagues that he's not, he's going to go for a ton of money. Whoever has the most money left, I think they're going to blow. Because he has that speed. I think Rosario is up sooner than later as well. And Willie Adamas, if the Rays are making a push, I, I could see them calling him up and, and just throwing him out at the short at shortstop. I mean, he's he's not he's a guy who doesn't do anything great, but he'll give you solid average. He'll steal a couple of bases, hit a couple of homers. He reminds me a little bit of a worse version of Barreto. Yeah, no, I, I think he'll, you know, I think uh, over this next month, I think Tampa Bay is going to make some decisions. They're going to trade some pitchers. I would think an Oda Rizzi goes and stuff like that. And, you know, they they have some pieces that people will be interested in, you know, some players that have played well above their head. I mean, nobody wanted Logan Morrison, but now, now the guy's batting almost 250. He's got over 20 home runs. So if you like yourself some Joey Gallo, why not uh, a guy that's batting like 50 points higher has just as many home runs. Maybe they're not as majestic. But going back to the uh, all these prospects, what I like to do is the prospects that come up that have the good pedigree that fail that first time, those are the guys you target the following year for the reason that they've gotten the seasoning. They know what it is to be on a major league team, to go on a road trip, to be in the locker room. So that next year, it's not new to them. Look so, at Jose Barrios. Yeah. No, I mean, these are uh, I've done it with Gene Segura. Mike Trout types. Uh, Barrios is another good example. Guys that struggle that have that pedigree are usually going to – the talent's usually going to win out. And I, I'm a believer in – you know, it's like with anything else. You start a new job. You're nervous. You know, you got a lot of things going on. So that's just something to think about. Speaking of young players, a brutal blow to a young pitcher. Julio Urias has to undergo surgery to repair the left – anterior capsule in his pitching shoulder. They're saying the timetable is 12 to 14 months, but the way that the Dodgers have treated him with kids' glove, I tweeted it yesterday. I said I think the best-case scenario is 2019 because maybe he could get a handful of starts down the stretch next season, but... I don't not, think you see him next year. Yeah, I, don't need, I think it's going to be a lot like Matt Harvey. Remember, he could have returned in September that year after Tommy John, but 
The Mets just wanted to play it safe. He was young. You know, he was kind of, they viewed him as the future. I think that's how the Dodgers view Urias. And I, look, it's, it's a shame because this kid had a ton of talent. But this is my argument where I, we just keep babying everybody. And I, I said it last time in the Black Book, and I'm, I'm going to say it again. I don't want to abuse anybody. But we, we have to let these kids at least start pitching, throwing the ball, even on the side, maybe maybe throwing a little more. That seems to be something that works. What we're currently doing does not work. This kid's got a major soldier surgery going on. I don't think you're going to see him for the next this year, next year. And I don't know if this kid's ever going to be the same. He, so I, I saw a list yesterday of pitchers who have had this surgery. Uh, I know Johan Santana comes to mind. Uh, there's a few other guys. They were all older and further on in their career, so maybe that's the hope for him, but this is a career destroyer. Yeah, no, and somebody, uh, one of the prospect writers had this really depressing tweet today, like, you know, everything you love gets ripped out from you and all this kind of crazy crap, but look at Matt Harvey back in 2013. He had arrived, he was one of the best, at least top three pitchers in the major leagues at that point that season when he got hurt in August. And we we saw him evolve into that. He was a major league pitcher who had become great and was dynamic. He hadn't done it over a long stretch. And look what happened to him. If I want to feel bad for anything, as a Met fan, I'm going to feel bad about that. <laughs> and yeah. then he came back and had a really good season in uh, 2015. I mean, look at Game 5 in the World Series. He still pitched great. And he had a, that season in ERA under three. And his, he's never going to be the same. No, I think it, I think it's gone for him. But so if you own, obviously a season long league or whatever, you're dropping him, uh, your your eyes. But in a dynasty, that's the only thing I think people have questions about. I'm I'm trading for whatever I can get from. Are you? Because because right now you're you're obviously gonna his value will never be lower. But again, it actually could get lower if he never pitches again. I mean, I, I'm either trading him for whatever I can get, or I'm probably gonna cut him. I mean, this is this is a major surgery. This kid, this is sh- shoulders are worse than elbows. So and, and the thing too is even when he comes, say he comes back in 2019. The Dodgers are the only, are an organization who has shown us time and time again they'll throw them out there four or five innings and then they'll they'll go to the bullpen. It's very so, sad. Very sad. Yeah, it, it it sucks to see, but you gotta you gotta make the moves. When we come back, we're gonna talk about some other players who will not be playing anymore. <laughs> so stay tuned for more weekend fantasy update. I know some people who have to wish upon a star. <laughs> so a couple of guys were DFA'd last night. And we don't really care about them. I think we care about the guys who are going to be taking their spot. First, Derek Norris was DFA'd. I actually feel a little bad for him because he homered and hit a double. Went 3 for 3 last <laughs> night. You know he was feeling good. He was you leave, you know, exiting the game and they were like, listen, you're done. We got Wilson Ramos back. That's a, that's a tough way to go out. I mean, hopefully for him, somebody uh, will scoop him up, which I'm sure they will. Yeah, I think he'll have no trouble finding a job. Yeah, but it, it is like you're, you're on a high after that game. You're feeling good, and you're like, by the way, here's your walking papers. <laughs> <laughs> if no one claims you, you know, you could always play in our minor league system. Yeah, we picked up. Uh, me and Vlad picked up Ramos 
like two weeks ago in Fab, and the uh, that's a twelve team format. So we're happy to have him. Hopefully, he's what he kind of was last year. I'm a little suspect that he can. You know, he's coming off of a severe injury, so we'll see. But you got to give the opportunity. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm a little weary if he could repeat last year. I get it. He know he had the eye procedure and all that, but I think he's more of what he was kind of years before mm-hmm. that, which is a great second catcher. But I don't know if he's going to be like a top five catcher like he was last yeah, year. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think that was perfect. I mean, in the 15 team format, my second catcher in in multiple leagues is Robinson Chirinos, and I'm kind of fine with that because most of these second catchers are just going to kill your batting average anyway. Yeah. Torino's when he does play, hits a home run. And maybe at some point in the second half, he's the starting catcher. I think Lucroy is going to get traded. And so, you know, it's it's kind of a barren wasteland, after, you know, <laughs> yeah, the deeper you dive. Wilson Ramos is only owned in 52% of CBS leagues. That has to, even in single one catcher leagues, I feel like he should be owned because catcher, like you said, it's just a wasteland. But we actually drafted Ramos in GST and held him all year. And we, we've been getting by with McCann, who's been awesome for us, and mm-hmm. Austin Hedges. With Ramos coming back now, we just flipped McCann for Jose Quintana. That's a great move. I mean, Quintana, these pitchers that have a track record, you have to be buying. Even like Cueto, who's having, say, for his standards, a down year. A Lester, who hasn't been John Lester. There's still a half a season of base, a little more, actually. But pretty much, to say there's like 85 games or so for each team. Think about last year. There are, there are guys that had bad first halves that had excellent second halves. Always look at the back of the baseball card. Even if, like, Lester's, I never thought he was going to pitch like he did last year with a 215 no. ERA or whatever he had, 240. I was thinking 330 ERA. I was thinking more 2015. That was what I was uh, predicting. Lester will be like the 2015 Lester with the Cubs, which was like a 334 ERA, which is great. If that gives you... 200-plus innings and, like, almost 200 strikeouts, you'll take that every day, especially with, with with the current landscape of pitching. That's, you know, you need somebody you can rely on down the stretch, somebody who in September is going to be there for you and yep. help you win championships. I, I agree. And then we saw Chris Carter finally DFA'd. I mean, the fact that they were throwing this guy out there made no sense to me. He's not a good fielder. He hasn't been hitting for crazy power. His average is down. He's striking out a lot. They they were waiting on Greg Bird, I believe, but they who knows when Greg Bird is coming back at this time. I mean, he just I believe he had another shot in his ankle. Yeah, it, it don't sound good. And and he he honestly said, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like he could miss maybe all the rest of the season. Who knows how long this guy's gonna be out for? Yeah, I wouldn't rely on Greg Bird. And, it, and what's kind of funny is if you waited on first baseman or you thought you were getting a really good corner, it was uh, say Bird. Um, Who's the kid? Uh, Tommy Joseph. And there was another guy missing. I know Justin Bull was even later. Right yeah, now. yeah. And the thing was, but that was, as we got closer and closer to the start of the season, Bird was the one that was climbing. Oh, yeah. He was going for like $15 in the mixed league auction. That's he went, crazy. He went ahead of Albert Pujols, Tommy Joseph, Bull, all those guys, like rounds ahead of them in GSTs. Because everyone thought, here's the next big breakout. People were saying he's going to be a top 10 first baseman. And. I mean, when when he played, he was plagued by this ankle, and now who knows when we're going to yeah, see him. Yeah, people were writing 30 home runs in for him. Like, it was, you know, it was etched I, in stone prior I get to it. Season. He played in Yankee Stadium, but I we haven't – we never seen him do it. I, I'm a guy who I, – I obviously players could break out. You got to mm-hmm. take chances, but 
If we've never seen a guy play at that high of a level, I, I, I'm just not going to guarantee that he's going to do it. And what's crazy is that first base this season with, with uh, Justin Smoke, Yonder Alonzo, Logan Morrison. I mean, you got these guys that, you know, we wrote, we wrote off for dead in fantasy that have have risen and have been awesome. I've been really put together solid seasons. So it, it's interesting. I, I, I keep preaching this because I know everything's getting geared towards football now. But just keep grinding. There's still a little more than half the season left. So if you had a bad first half and say you have a really good second half, I mean, the, the teams that are having a really good first half, it's very difficult to sustain. Sometimes it happens, and you just go wire to wire. But teams are going to, you know, that are doing well now are going to slide also. So you just, that's the beauty of baseball. It is a six-month grind. Yeah, and any excitement for Tyler Austin? I think he's a deeper league, like a 14-15 team. Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking at him in 12 teams or less. I'm not even going to look at him. I mean, maybe if he starts doing something, you can put him on a watch list, you know. But I, I'm not really uh, too excited. And he, he could maybe fill a role. But even in the deeper leagues, I'm not going out of my way. If somebody, I, you know, I kind of like a little, but, you know, I don't, I don't foresee. I think he's also going to – I think the stadium helps him, but the lineup hurts him because Chris Carter was hitting eighth. I think that's where he's going to mm-hmm. hit. Yeah, he's no, he makes a perfect hole. point with that. I mean, they're hitting Gary Sanchez six. They're not going to try to get this guy any higher. So no, not at all. And I mean, is he that great of a you know? Is he somebody that we would just like everybody was waiting for to come up? No. I mean, look, he's what? And how many plate appearances does he have? And he's batting three hundred with a four hundred BABIP in in AAA. I, I'm not you know. It's not like this is somebody that has so much power. You know, like a Joey Gallo or a Kyle Schwarber. So I'm not that excited. So speaking of another corner infielder, is now the time to buy Freddie Freeman that it's come out this week that he's going to play third base. So he's going to have first and third eligibility. And I love it because Matt Adams deserves to play. He has done nothing but rake since coming to the Braves, hitting 300 with uh, 12 homers in like a month since he's come over. It, it's been pretty awesome. So is now are you buying Freddie Freeman or are you still a little weary about the injury holding him back? I mean, I I love Freddie Freeman, even if he just has the first base eligibility. Uh, the injury is somewhat of a concern. Does it sap some of his power or not? But I don't know what you can get for Matt Adams, but if somebody's interested, Matt Adams is the guy that I'm definitely going to try and flip. I do like the park for him. Right center and, uh, and right field has been awesome at SunTrust Park. If you're a left-handed hitter, you are definitely, or somebody hits the ball the right center, you are definitely benefiting from that park. That said, as you mentioned, Matt Adams in the month of June is just going crazy. He's got 10 home runs. The average is through the roof. Is this sustainable? Look, we know this guy has power, but if I can get something good, then I'm going to make that move. Otherwise, I I don't see myself trading Freeman. I really don't. I'd have to get blown away. Would you try and buy him, though? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I would. Uh, but I, I just know, just if you're trying to buy him, that owner, especially at this point now that he's coming back, he's not giving you a discount. And playing third base, that, yeah. that helps. So if anything, his price might even be going up that he's got the dual eligibility. So it's a tough guy to buy in the fact that most people are going to want a discount because he's coming off of an injury, and that's not going to happen. And speaking of buyers and sellers, our Mets came out yesterday and said they're going to sell... 
They're listening to offers for all their expiring contracts. I think this is the right move for them. They clearly need to retool for next season. But for a fantasy standpoint, I think some guys lose a little bit of value. I think depending where they land, but like Addison Reed right now, you, he is firmly entrenched as a closer. He could lose the gig if he's traded. And I think he is one player that certainly will be traded because he'll probably, of everyone the Mets are shopping, he'll probably get the biggest haul. Yeah, Reed is probably going to be like a 7th, 8th inning guy wherever he lands, I'm assuming. But what I hope the Mets do is package like an Addison Reed or an a Jay Bruce or a Lucas Duder if some team needs a, first, a left-handed first baseman with power. You get the best deal you possibly can get. I mean, all these guys, it's time to see Dominic Smith, Rosario... Let the kid Chikini play second base. Let Rosario play shortstop. I mean, look, I was saying on May 1st the division was lost. You know, once Syndergaard was gone for three months and we had Cespedes... And they're further out of the wild card than the division, so... Yeah, no, that's that's (laughs) very true. I mean, I know Scott was arguing me. How could you say that on May 1st? But, you know, you you had to be realistic. I mean, the the, the Nationals are really team number one. And it's just pretty much gotten worse for the Mets. I mean, Zellman has been a disaster. Uh, Lugo's pitch well. Matt's, can he stay healthy? I mean, the Wheeler thing, I don't really think he was injured. I think he got rocked a couple of times after pitching really well for a nice stretch, and they wanted to give him a mental break. But he's going to get shut down at some point, too. So so I think that the way that some of these hitters, like I think Addison Reed, I would try shopping him now if I own him. Mm-hmm. But... Some of these hitters, like a Duda, like a Jay Bruce, I think they could benefit because the teams in the NL, the races, are, I don't want to say they're over, but they're kind of over. You know, the Central is still up for grabs, but the Cubs, the Brewers, those teams in contention, they don't need position bats. The AL, though, the wild card in the AL is wide open. I mean, there's almost, besides three teams in the AL, every team is within three and a half games of that wild card spot. So I think those guys could get shipped to an AL team where maybe mm-hmm. they'll see time a couple extra at-bats because they'll be DHing instead of sitting for Conforto or Granderson or something along those lines. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. But the sooner the better for the Mets and maybe fantasy owners. Sadly for us. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about three players who have been really hot as of late and three players who have been pissing you off a little bit. Stay tuned for more from the Weekend Fantasy Update. Welcome back to the weekend fantasy update. We're gonna we're gonna follow what Joey had planned. Joey put together a little segment three up and three down before his basement flooded. Put that in quotes because I think it's just flooded with like dead bodies and stuff. Dead bodies, maybe some uh, sausage on, on the barbecue. <laughs> he's cooking as he's burying them up. So so yeah, some three up and three down. And the first player up that I want to talk about. Maybe this is on me. I hadn't realized just how good this guy's been playing. Mike Zanino. We were just talking if you need catchers and everything. Since May 29th, he's hitting 372 with nine homers. He hit one last night. 30 RBIs and 14 runs. However, striking out, still striking out 37% of the time and walking just 5.8%. Entering yesterday, I believe he was leading, for the month of June, he was leading MLB in RBIs with like 26 yeah, and which he is, added to that last night. Which is, so. yeah, he had, he, he had a three-run homer, I believe? I think so, yeah. I, I mean, he's just been amazing. And 
we I picked we picked them up right about the end of May, beginning of June, whatever that weekend was. And we had uh, the guy on the Angels. I just totally wrong. Martin Maldonado. Martin Maldonado. That's and I my was guy. Like not wanting to drop Maldonado. Vlad you had a wanted, triple last night. By the way. Vlad wanted Zanino, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not like tied to, Maldon, uh, to Maldonado, and he has just been amazing. With this stretch that he has gone on, has just been a whirlwind of power, average, everything, everything you could want. RBIs, as, as I mentioned. I mean, is it going to last? No. But is the power there? Yeah, we've always known Zanino's had power. I think anybody this season who gets the at-bats is going to hit 15 to 20 home runs. You don't even have to be a power hitter anymore. <laughs> it's it's becoming a little, a bit silly in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, ride this ride this wave. Zanino has kind of become what every hitter's kind of, I mean, to a little extreme, but home run or strikeout kind of thing. Like, that's what that's kind of what baseball is this year. True outcome. That's that's the new world we live in in baseball. Strikeout, walk, homer. Yeah, and do I think Zanino's going to keep this up? Obviously not, but he's owned in only 60% of the league, so I feel like you have to go out and add him and ride him while he's hot. That's how you, you win your leagues. Like like you said, you had Martin Maldonado. Martin Maldonado's been great, but what you got out of Zanino this past month you add that that in helps with, you win championships. Yeah, you add that in with what you got out of Maldonado and whoever you're going to yeah. get after Zanino, and you're going to have a from your catcher two production. You're going to have catcher one numbers. Yeah, and like you say, say you pick up Zanino even now, you you don't get the point. You don't get all the stats that he just went crazy for the last three weeks in June. But say you pick him up now, and then two weeks it's over. The run's over. He's done. You go. You move on to the next guy. I mean, that's what we pretty much Martin do with, Maldonado might still be out. there. Yeah, <laughs> Maldonado could be around. A kid like Jorge Alfaro might get called up next month. So, I mean, especially with the catcher position, it's, you know, churn and burn, ride the hot hand, and then move on. I'll tell in my draft Champions League, Jorge Alfaro was my catcher, too, that I drafted. So late, 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 my friend, whose last name is Maldonado, was like, I've always liked Martin Maldonado. Let's take a shot on him. So we did. I've been starting him all year as my catcher, too. Yeah, no, I mean, hey. I, I, the one thing you want is not to get killed by your catcher too. Maldonado is, you know, he's, he's played well. I mean, for, for a catcher too, he's done everything you could possibly hope for. What I liked about him was, like you said earlier in the show, catcher twos, a lot of them are going to hurt your average. He has some pop, but we knew he was going to get the at-bats because he's so good defensively. We knew he was going to be there, you know, five, six times a week. That was good enough for me. And, I mean, it, it's paid off. I mean, he's having a pretty solid year. Another guy though who's who's up right now, and and is still owned in only just over half of CBS Sports leagues. I, I'm a big player on CBS. That's why I use their ownership percentages. Fifty two percent owned. David Peralta. Peralta uh, is on the year. Not even you know, just recently on the year three thirty with a three seventy eight OBP, seven homers, forty six runs, only twenty one ribbies, but also five steals. And since May 28th, he's been even better. 380 average with three of those seven homers in that month and 22 runs. And runs and average are a stat that I feel like get overlooked. People like guys who can hit home runs, drive in a lot of RBIs. We hear everyone freak out about steals all the time. This is a guy who's going to give you a good average and a lot of runs. Yeah, runs especially. Runs, everybody overlooks that. It's kind of like whip. Sometimes I feel like people disregard that. And Peralta was a guy... In 2015, we saw kind of break out. 
Uh, last year was marred with injuries and stuff, and he was kind of a forgotten man this year. He went late. You got him for pretty much nothing, and he's produced. Uh, he plays in a great ballpark. Uh, my hope for Arizona is A.J. Pollock at some point returns, but I'm not too hopeful there. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping he comes back. I'm hoping, yes, Monty Tomas comes back, but that lineup, it, it's fun. And, and I feel like, I don't know if you agree or not, when a lineup is so hot, like the, like the, the uh, Diamondbacks or, or the Rockies, I always like to get some exposure to it. Oh, without a doubt. I, I think that's, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you want to put the the DFS definite, you want to stack some players in that yeah. lineup, I think that's a way to go. Peralta right now is available in half your leagues out there. So, I mean, yeah, in a 15-team, 14-team league, he's not available. But if you're playing in a 12-team league, there's a good chance he's available out there and he's hot right now. I feel like you should add him and get him in. And the last guy who is up right now is a guy that I actually own in the GST League, Andrew McCutcheon. Early on in the year, you know, me, Joe, and Cha-Cha, we worried a little bit. We were saying he's had such that so bad streak in uh, the WBC. He, he The first month or so, he looked lost. After what he did last year, just one good month last year, we were worried. We were, is, you know, this guy's best behind him. They moved him to right field. He got put back to center, and then they moved him down to the six hole. And I have to say... When they did that, I was like, oh, man, this is a bad sign. He's going to get less at-bats, less opportunities to drive in runs. I was really worried, and I had to say it was all for naught because since he's getting moved to the six-hole, he's hitting 380, 477 OBP, eight homers, 21 runs, 24 ribbies, and his strikeout rate and walk rate are both 15.3%. That you love to see, the strikeout percent and the walk rate. But you want to ecstatic about Andrew McCutcheon over this last uh, nice run that he's had is the Pirates front office. Yep. They need to trade him. Uh, I hope for McCutcheon he ends up on a team that does make the playoffs. Uh, he's He's been a warrior. He's been a great player. So it's, it's, a, it's a good situation for the player and the team. The Pirates should be able to get something nice back in return. He can go to a uh, playoff contender, and everything should possibly work out. I have a question for you. So, I know they moved him down. I believe it was actually against the Mets when his, the first series uh, he hit six. They moved him down because they wanted to take less pressure on, put less pressure on him, make him think that this lineup could get by without him having to carry all the load. And, and he's been great since. Do you think they should move him back to the middle of the lineup? I get it; it's working. You want to leave him there? I get that thinking. But Andrew McCutcheon is still Andrew McCutcheon. I, I don't think it's him hitting in the six hole that's making him this successful. Yeah, no, I would move him back up in the lineup. I, I understand you, you make adjustments to get players going. I would move him up to the you know, cleanup spot, whatever they want to do. Get him more even want to bat him third or whatever. He's you know, he's found his groove, he's hot. It worked. You, you moved him down whatever he needed to clear his head or take some pressure off. That obviously worked. It's kinda of like the argument with Anthony Rizzo and people like uh, and I know Tony was round the other day. If anybody says to take Anthony Rizzo out of the leadoff spot, they're crazy. Okay, but do you, do we bat Joey Votto leadoff? You know, just because you have a great is Mike Trout batting leadoff anymore? No, I mean Anthony Rizzo is a guy that can give you run production. He has the power. This got him going. That's great. But I'd rather have a Chris Bryant batting second and Anthony Rizzo batting third. I think that just deepens your lineup. Kyle Schwarber should have been hitting cleanup. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Schwarber fascination with the leadoff spot was kind of nuts. I mean, Zo the problem was they really didn't have a true leadoff guy. 
and maybe Zobris was best apt for that role, and now he's on the DL. It, it is the one thing that is hurting them losing Dexter Fowler because he 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 was able to to do that. He gave him, you know, a decent center fielder, above average. You want to say? I don't think he's fantastic center fielder. But he was a good leadoff guy for them. He fit that lineup. And, you know, that's what they're missing. They need that guy. My thing with these two guys, Rizzo and McCutcheon, is it's not like they have a specific skill set where, all right, Rizzo, he's a fast guy. He has a high OBP. We should hit him leadoff. Or, you know, McCutcheon, maybe, you know, if he was like a guy like a like a Domingo Santana or something like that, where maybe you don't want to move him around the order too much, they let him get comfortable, ease his mind or whatever. These are guys with... MVP backgrounds, proven track records. Mm-hmm. I think they can hit anywhere in the order. I, I agree with what you said. You move them around to get them going. You got them going. Now put them where they belong in the order. Yeah, I, I'll give Joe Madden total credit on this. He's one of the guys, I mean, he's done it with Longoria, where he put him in the leadoff spot when he was slumping. So, look, it does seem to work. You, you know, you're going to see some, some more fastballs and stuff and all that. But at some point, I think you really have to have, you, you want to have your best optimal lineup. And I don't think Anthony Rizzo batting leadoff is that. I agree. I think Benzo. I know they don't have a natural leadoff hitter. I think Benzo should be hitting leadoff. I thought that all year, even when they had Kyle Schwarber trying it out there. I thought Kyle Schwarber should be a middle of the order bat. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. Hopefully he's not on the deal for too long. Rizzo's that kid Almora is hell of fun to watch instead of yeah, field, he, he really is. He is he maybe he's some, a guy they take a shot with for a little bit. Do a little test run because I mean his glove is worth it out there. Yeah, I mean I know they tried Ian Happ leading off a little bit. Yeah, that's not going to work. No, I mean, Ian Happ is a guy that that kid does have power. I mean I remember watching him and Bellinger in Arizona Fall League, and those guys they both rip it and uh, they both uh, rip it and rip it. So, speaking of leadoff hitters, Billy Hamilton, man, he's come back down to earth hard since May thirty first, one fifty six average, two oh seven OBP. Just seven runs, and here's the real stat that hurts you. Three steals, one caught stealing. Yeah, I mean, April 10 stolen bases, May 18, June 3. I still think he steals another 30 bases, so if I could buy low, I'm buying low. Yeah, I would too, just because of the steals, but I think if you have him and you pad your lead in steals, once he gets going again, that's when you should look to trade him. We're going to talk about a couple other players who have been struggling, one that I know has hurt me and Matt personally when we come back on the Weekend Fantasy Update. Welcome back to the weekend fantasy update. Matt Modica, Mike Florio here, taking you to two o'clock before father and son NASCAR hour. There we go. They're, Scott was saying they're making right turns this week instead of left. He, he was all excited about that. I, I don't see the interest. I, I just don't <laughs> want to see Scott behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> but if you are into NASCAR, it's not my thing. If you're into NASCAR, though. They, father do, and they son, do a great job. They do a great job. Father and son NASCAR hour. They'll help you win in DFS and season long, all that. But so before we went to break, I said we're going to talk about a player who has hurt both of us personally. It's Carlos Gonzalez. On the year, he's hitting 221, Matt. 300 OBP, six home runs, just 20 RBIs. This is almost halfway through the season. What the hell is going on? You, you know what? I, I bought this guy in one player in one of my unique leagues. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm going to hope and pray he has like a 2015 renaissance in the second half where he just goes crazy. That's really all you can do. I mean, maybe even a guy that I would buy low, even though I'm not that confident. I think he says he's experienced some, some shoulder soreness as well. But if I could get him on the cheap, then maybe I'm interested. The The thing here is, since the All-Star break last year, which is almost, I think, 550 plate appearances, his OPS is 705. Uh, I don't the, think that's good. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I, as they say, that's no bueno. He has 12 home runs. You know, that's, once again, especially in an era right now where everybody's hitting home runs. Like, you know, you can't keep the ball in the park. And he plays in Coors Field. Like, you can't keep the ball yes. in the park anywhere, let alone in Coors Field. That that was the one thing I wanted. I know his hard hit rate is down this year, 28.9%, below league average, below his career norm. I don't believe he's ever finished below 30%, so I think that is going to improve. But his average on fly balls is 160. Mm-hmm. Out of all qualified hitters, that's the 29th lowest. And a lot of the guys ahead of him are not power hitters. So I would imagine that that picks up for him, but the fact that it makes, it makes sense to me that his hard hit rate is down and, and he has a low average on fly balls, but we've seen this guy do it before where in the second half, He'll catch fire, and he, I mean, he hit over twenty-five homers in the second half just two years ago. Yeah, no, I think yeah, he's a guy I'm willing to take the chance on. I mean, like I said, I'm just pointing out from the All-Star break, it's been really rough with the OPS. His WRC plus over these five hundred and forty-seven at bats is sixty-seven. That is pretty pretty. <laughs> like you say, he plays half his games in course. You know? Yeah. So um, I'm gonna hope that you know. Better things are, are a line ahead. These guys, he's done it before, and it, like I said, I don't think he's going to cost you much to take it to take a chance on. Yeah, I, the thing is, normally I feel like owners are reluctant to sell a player for pennies on the dollar or whatever it may be, but with how bad he's been, mm-hmm. I think the owner, I, I think it could be one of those situations where the owner who has him feels like he's getting a decent return for him because of the namesake or whatever. But yet, in reality, you, you're just taking a pure upside chance. You're not going to be giving up anything too crazy. And even if it's not like a one-for-one one trade, maybe you, have, you you get him included in a package deal. And the owner's like, well, you know, I'm just throwing him in. I'm getting him off my team. Did you so, ever think Carlos Gonzalez would be a throw-in? You know, it happens to everybody, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, we getting old sucks. I'm going to tell you that much. <laughs> Speaking of uh, someone who's getting old, Albert Pujols, since June 2nd, 203 average, 244 OBP, just three homers. Any excitement for Albert Pujols? You know what? The, his power is still there, but it's just watching this guy play is kind of silly. He can't even run to first. I mean, he can barely make it to first base. I mean, I've seen some double play balls where the second baseman should never have even attempted to throw it back to first, but he knew who was running. And they still got him out by a decent margin. <laughs> so, I mean, it's sad. Hopefully Trout comes back and that helps him too. Yeah, I had him as a bust coming into the year because of that foot. So I will not be taking a shot on Pujols. But if you ever want to, now is the time to do so. But when we come back, we're going to shift gears. Fantasy football time on the Weekend Fantasy Update. going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
You worked all week. Work, 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 work. You didn't have time to look at your fantasy lineups. Son of a But don't be afraid. That's why we give you Weekend Fantasy Update. Here are your hosts, Joe Galina, Frank Stample, and Mike Florio. Welcome back to the Weekend Fantasy Update. No Frank Stample or Joe Galina, but you got me, Mike Florio, you got CTM Baseball's Matt Modica. What more can you ask for on a Saturday afternoon, you know? And we got a nice pitcher of ice cold water, so things are looking up. <laughs> Hopefully you guys have a nice pitcher of something besides water and you're you know, you're enjoying it while listening to us. So we're we're shifting gears. We're gonna talk fantasy football here. Next segment we're gonna be joined by Ted Glover of Daily Norseman. That's SB Nation's Minnesota Vikings page. Uh they they do a lot of great work over there. I'm really looking forward to talking about Dalvin Cook, Latavius Murray. Like what the talk in Minnesota is, how that running back situation could shape up. Because I really like Dalvin Cook. I love his ability. His, I, I I love the comparison to Le'Veon Bell. I'm just scared off. Could we see Latavius Murray at the goal line and eat into too much of his production to make him worth the pick? Even if I, I think Murray is going to be the shoot. I think that's why they brought him in. I, I know he was brought in prior to the them drafting Cook. But I loved watching Cook at Florida State. I thought he was a hell of a player. And prior to the combine, I was really excited. I thought prior to the combine, he was the guy that was going to go to the Carolina Panthers. I thought he fit that offense perfectly. And then, you know, he did not have a good, uh, by combine standards, his workout was not good. Are you a combine guy? Because I'm not. I'm really not, you know, but it keeps the NFL going year round. So I'm excited to talk to him as well. So, so a guy like Dalvin Cook fell because he didn't have a good combine. But, yeah. But we've seen him year in, year out at FSU be one of the best players on the field, one of the best running backs in the nation. So I, I like to see that and like what they do in college. I view that in a higher regard than a guy who can put on shorts and go out and run fast. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I kind of like this Vikings team, to, to be honest. with. I don't think they're, you know, Green Bay is still the class of that division, but I'm I'm an Adam Thielen guy. Figs I think needs to hold up physically, but I kind of like this backfield, and I think Bradford showed last year that you know he was thrown in there late. It wasn't like a guy that had a whole camp with this team and stuff. So and he's got Rudolph, who's another guy that I like. So I think this is going to be a fun team to watch. I think if I and if I'm in a two team. Uh, two-team quarterback league, like a super flex, and I did end up with Bradford. I'm not the saddest guy in the room. Yeah, I I like Kai Rudolph a lot from this team. I, I know we've been burned by him in the past, but to me, outside of Kelsey, he may be the next safest tight end. I'm not saying he's the next tight end that should go. I mean, obviously there's a lot of names that go before him, but just on pure safety. He led all tight ends in targets. He was second in all of red zone targets. And from week eight on, he was just almost guaranteed double-digit targets. So that's something that I want to talk to uh, Ted Glover. When we return, he will be joining us talking all things Minnesota Vikings.
Welcome back to the Weekend Fantasy Update. Mike Florio here with Matt Modica. And now we are joined by a very special guest, Ted Glover. You can follow him on Twitter at PurpleBuckeye. He writes for Daily Norseman, the SB Nation Minnesota Vikings account. And there's, there's a lot of fantasy options and questions surrounding the Vikings. So, Ted, thank you so much for coming on and trying to give us a little bit of clarity here. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Welcome aboard, Ted. So I feel Thanks. like that we have to start with the running backs. They went out, they signed Latavius Murray, who's still dealing with that ankle injury. They drafted Dalvin Cook in the second round. How do you see the running back usage shaping up? And could we see a committee where Cook, you know, is first and second down, Murray is getting goal line action, and even McKinnon is getting some passing down backs? Um, you know, for, for Vikings fans, I think the the running back situation as a whole, you know, I'm not trying to say any of these guys individually were would be better than Adrian Peterson in, in his prime, but I think as a whole, uh, they're going to be a pretty solid group. For fantasy owners, you know, that's that dreaded running back by committee. I think we're definitely going to see that. Maybe maybe not so much early on. I, I think Latavius Murray is going to be the guy, uh, if he's healthy, to start the season off. The Vikings – have, have a pattern at least under head coach Mike Zimmer to to bring rookie players along rather slowly you saw that with um, Laquan Treadwell you've seen that with Trey Waynes um, so I I kind of I kind of get the feeling that you know right now today Murray will will be the guy as the season begins and they'll bring Cook along and and probably by the end of the year you're going to have a I would think a full full-blown running back by committee you know Murray's a big goal line guy Cook's the guy between the 20s more than likely and and you can't like you said you can't discount Jarek McKinnon the guy brings a a, a pretty exciting dimension in, in um, an occasional carry and, and catching the ball on the backfield yeah I was kind of surprised uh, are the people in Minnesota were they like ecstatic that they got Cook where they did because we just mentioned in the, on the previous segment that prior to the combine I thought that Cook was going to end up in, say, Carolina. I thought he fit that scheme perfectly. And I think the Vikings got a steal here. With a, I mean, as you said, maybe they bring him along in the beginning, but I think this is a guy that will be an exciting player. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think um, having, you know, you, the Vikings made a move up to go get him, which um, I don't think they would have done for any other running back that was still around in the, in the second round. You know, they kind of the expectation at the time, if you remember, is um, a lot of people were thinking they might go after Joe Mixon. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, no, it it was, I think it was a big surprise, which is why they made the move to go get him. And I I thought it was a great pick for the Vikings uh, to see a guy like Cook in the second round uh, and and potentially answers your your running back questions for, you know, the the near and distant future. Hopefully, yeah, it was was a solid move by the Vikings on draft day. So speaking of the run game, I mean, obviously we know Dalvin Cook is talented and we worry about the usage, but I feel like we also with the Vikings have to worry about that O-line. I know they made some moves to improve that in the offseason, but last year they really struggled to get, you know, create running holes and and even keep Sam Bradford, give him time to throw. How much of an improvement do you think the O-line is going to be this year? And is is that still going to be a weakness of the Vikings? I don't know that it'll be a weakness. I, I'm I'm not sure it's going to be a strength, but assuming the guys they got are, are going to stay healthy, 
they're going to be better, I would fathom, almost simply by default. T.J. Clemmings was literally the worst starting tackle in the NFL <laughs> last year. They had a ton of, of guys that were injured. I, I think um, it was one of the most, in NFL history, it was one of the most um, injury-ravaged seasons for any individual unit. I'd, I'd have to go find that story I read. So it, it was a lot of different things. And the, the Vikings did a lot to address the offensive line. They, they signed Riley Reef and, and Mike Remmers in free agency. Those guys are going to be installed as your starting left tackles. Um, they went in, in in the third round. They moved up and drafted uh, Pat Elfline, center out of Ohio State, who's going to compete for the starting center job right away. So y- you can see they've got they've got pieces in place to address that. Uh, they also you know drafted a, a kid later in the in the in the draft by the name of Danny Azadora, guard out of Miami, I think, who has the kind of a rough prospect, but has the potential to be pretty good down the road. So I, I think they finally have addressed the, the, the issues that plague them in terms of quality and depth. Uh, and I just, you know, look, I just want an average offensive line. If you give the Vikings offense just an average middle-of-the-road offensive line, I think this offense is going to be pretty good. I'm kind of with you, and that that's my next question. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this offense. I kind of like Sam Bradford this year, getting the, you know, having the full off season with the Vikings. Uh, I'm a big Adam Thielen fan. I mean, Kyle Rudolph, to me, is the perfect uh, security blanket for Bradford. And if Diggs can stay healthy throughout the course of the season, I like this offense. So am I crazy to be excited about Bradford? Excited? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, he's, he's a solid player. And, and for the Vikings, the quarterback position in recent years, solid is, is something we would have desperately taken. So it's it's hard to to pan Sam Bradford. I, I like Sam. I, I liked what he did last year. I thought he played well considering um, the constant assault he was under whenever he went back mm-hmm. to to throw throw a pass. Uh, I, I like I like the combination of Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and Laquan Treadwell, who didn't play much at all last year. I, rumors or not rumors, but reports from him out of the uh, OTAs and mini camps this year have him as the solid number three guy. Big red zone target. I, I think he's going to be uh, in the offense a lot more this year than he was last year. We already talked about the running backs. I think it's they're going to have a, a pretty good mix of, of guys they use, at least as we get later on in the season. And, and you know, Kyle Rudolph is a guy at tight end, especially in fantasy football, nobody really talks about. And and he, man, he catches he catches passes, gets yards, and, and scores touchdowns. He's he's a quality. Um, tight end one in, in any fantasy lineup, I would think. Speaking of Kyle Rudolph, I, I was just saying before in this segment before this that I think he's one of the safest tight ends out there. Last year, he led all tight ends in targets. He was second out of all players in red zone targets. And in the second half of the season, he was highly targeted. And that was after Pat uh, Shermer took over for North Turner. So is getting him highly involved part of their game plan, or was that more so because their O-line was so so weak that – uh, Bradford just had to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And what are your expectations for Rudolph this season? I think the first part of your question, going back to last year, was sort of a combination of both. Pat Shermer loves to use a tight end in his offense. And by midway through the season, the Vikings' offensive line had been hit by so many injuries, they could not do a five- and seven-step drop type of passing game. They just, they just couldn't. Sam Bradford didn't have time. So, yeah, Sam Bra- um Kyle Rudolph became a big target for Kyle Rudolph, or 
Kyle Rudolph became a big target for Sam Bradford. Uh, but I would expect Rudolph to get more than his fair share in the offense this year, even if the offensive line does play well. Uh, because the, the tight end is is a really critical, well, I would say critical, but a, a big part of the offense. And he provides a, a big mismatch in terms of um, – uh, Guys, he's going to the guys that are going to be covering him on defense in terms of linebackers or even a safety, and, and he's he's a the Vikings one of the Vikings' primary red zone targets too. So he's gonna he's gonna eat this year. And with the wide receivers here, I know as you mentioned the uh, Laquan Treadwell, all the positive reports. I'm anxious to see him uh, this training camp. But but Stephon Diggs uh, has he you know is he a guy that can hold up through the course of the NFL season? And what's your thoughts on Thielen? Because I really like Thielen. I, I like Thielen a lot. The Vikings re-signed him to a, a, a contract extension. He's one of those guys that, that you really don't think a whole lot of until they throw him the ball and he's wide open and he's, you know, he's getting chunks of yards uh, almost every time he catches the ball. Diggs I really like. I think he can be that, that explosive playmaker, down-the-field type guy. Um, but, yeah, he um, and, and he's shown it before. But – Durability is a is a slight concern. I mean, he didn't he hasn't missed huge chunks of time, but he does tend to get nicked up about halfway through the season. And then he's you know one of those guys that are questionable all the way up leading to the game. Um, so yeah, he needs to he needs to kind of put those durability questions to rest. But he can definitely be one of those um, big play guys the Vikings need. But that said, Thielen averaged more yards per catch last year than than Diggs did. So. I mean, I think they're both, they both complement each other well in terms of uh, what each player brings to the offense. Real quick, we, got, we have less than a minute. Uh, is, when and if are we ever going to see Teddy Bridgewater again, or is this Sam Bradford's job going forward oh. now? Oh, we have less than a minute, and now you ask me this question. Oh, I don't know. Um, I, it's going to be Sam Bradford's job to start. I, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater's knee is fully healthy. And I think it just sort of depends on how Bradford plays and how well Bridgewater heals. Um, the Vikings are going to have a really interesting choice. I think I saw a tweet last night that Bradford's probably going to get close to $23 million a year or his agent's going to ask for $23 million a year. And that is that is a big decision uh, the Vikings are going to have to figure out in terms of do we pay Sam Bradford or do we let him walk and, and go back to Teddy? Do you know, does Sam Bradford play well all year? Do they have to make a switch? There's just so many unknowns at that position right now. That I, The only thing I do know is it's going to be Sam Bradford's job to start the season, and we'll go from there, and I'm fine with that. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. That was Ted Glover. You can follow him on Twitter, at Purple Buckeye. He writes for at Daily Norseman. Follow them on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. And make sure to stay tuned for more Weekend Fantasy Update. The fantasy football talk is going to continue. Welcome back to the Weekend Fantasy Update. Matt Modica, Mike Florio, taking you to 2 o'clock before the Fantasy NASCAR Hour, hosted by Scott and Sean Engel, talking about this week's NASCAR race, DFS, season long, everything you need to uh, to get ready for the race tomorrow. 
But the rest of this show, we're going to talk fantasy football. We're going to talk players who... I, I made a list of some guys I like at their current ADP. And we were just talking last segment about Kyle Rudolph. Me and Matt were talking about tight ends during the break. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the tight end position. The way I'm attacking tight end this year, I'm either going to get Travis Kelsey in the fourth. I'm going to get... I'm going to wait or get one of those middle guys. I, I know we were talking during the break. We both like Jimmy Graham. I like Tyler Eifert. I know... He he's banged up, but he's never had a supporting cast like this. He's a, the best, I think, best red zone option they have there. I I could see him racking in a, a lot of touchdowns like he did two years ago. Eifert is an incredibly efficient player when on the field. The problem is when on the field, yeah, that back injury scares the shit out of me. To be honest <laughs> with you, it's the problem with me with Eifert is the price. If I got him after double digit rounds, I'd be I'd be fine with it. But people are paying up for Eifert. It's not like he's, yeah. you know, getting pushed back and everybody has the same concerns as I do. People seen exactly what you said. He is a great uh, red zone target. He's an extremely efficient player. And, you know, I believe this is a contract year for him as well. But, I mean, a back injury is something you really got to take some pause with. And I see people routinely taking Eifert over Rudolph and even Delaney Walker. And I can't do that right now. Yeah, I so for a while I was on Kelsey or a middle-tier guy. And the middle-tier to me is Greg Olson, Eifert, Graham, Rudolph, Walker. And and I like all of those guys, but some have bigger question marks for me than others. Like Greg Olson, he's every year is a 1,000-yard guy, but now with McCaffrey there, with... Uh, you know they have a, they have more weapons than ever before. And McCaffrey's a guy who is going to, I think, get a lot of those short yards passes. I, I worry a tad about Greg Olson. I still think I'm going to have Greg Olson on a few teams. Yeah, Greg Olson consistently goes in that fifth-round range. Uh, maybe he's one of the best values if you want to look at it that way. But I think you're right to have some caution. The offense is going to change this year with, with McCaffrey and also with uh, Samuel that they drafted. These players, they are making an, an evolution in their offense. So it's not going to be the same old thing. I still think Olson will get his and – have another season as he has produced in the past. But for me, if I take the route that I've been taking for the most part this season, where I'm going to go heavy on wide receivers, I'm going to look to be nailing some running backs in that fourth, fifth round. And so that's why I'm going to look for Jimmy Graham a little later. I like Jimmy Graham too. Uh, a Kyle Rudolph even after that. And then if I have to, if i got to decide on Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, that's not a bad decision to have to make. So I was just going to say, the, like early on when I started thinking about drafts, it was going to be Kelsey or the middle tier. Now it's more like Kelsey, maybe a Jimmy Graham or, or Kyle Rudolph, or wait on those two guys that you said, Ebron or Jack Doyle. I, I like both of them. I love Ebron's ability. I think if Ebron plays a full 16 games, he could make a push as a top five tight end. I believe in the talent. I believe in Matt Stafford and the offense around him. It's just he's always banged up. Well, look, if Ebron can't do it this season, it's never going to happen. Everything, like you said, when they say the stars are aligned, everything is aligned for him. I think he's the biggest beneficiary of Anquan Bolden not coming back to Detroit. That's 95 targets, 67 receptions, and eight touchdowns that are gone. And the most red zone targets of anyone on, yeah, so that, I mean, on the team. And Bolden, to be honest, was kind of like a big tight end yeah. Right, right, right. And at this point of his career, he was like a big tight end option in the end zone. So, yes, I get the love. For me, 
I kind of side with Jack Doyle. When I, I, I think Doyle's relationship with uh, Luck. The other thing, too, is I do want to see a healthy Andrew Luck throwing the football sooner than later. I don't like, well, we're ready for week one. Yeah, that's great. That, like that's with a starting pitcher concerning. and with the quarterback, the shoulder is extremely important. And what happens if he does have a setback? Then, you know, no Colts have any value. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Another guy I'm intrigued by, but I'm going to avoid, I think. I may have a share to him. Like, I'm going to have way too many Kyle Rudolph shares. I'm, <laughs> I went all in on Kyle Rudolph a couple years ago. It didn't work out. I think I'm going to have a lot of shares of him this year. Zach Ertz. I know you've said before Zach Ertz should be Mr. December. This is what he does. He has huge months of December. But down the stretch, he was highly targeted. Him and Wentz just showed that they, mm-hmm. they clicked. So I, I do believe in that. But the fact that you bring in Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith and you have Jordan Matthews now in the slot, I worry if Ertz is going to be inconsistent week to week. See, I like Jordan Matthews this season. I think he's he's fallen nicely where I think he's going to return a nice profit. And I think he's someone that's going to eat into Ertz's uh, targets. I, I think putting him in the slot, he's playing in his proper position. And you have a guy, you have a number one in Alshon. Torrey Smith, you just, you know what, just tell him to take the, just do a fly <laughs> pad and get lost, you know, take the, keep take the, safety, the deep, you know. Keep the defense so, honest. That's, yeah, that's what that's, his role is. That's basically what he's getting paid to do. So, look, I don't hate Ertz, but. I would rather have an Ebron or a Fleener. Than, I'll, I'll I mean, tell you. I'm sorry. I said Fleener, Ebert, Ebron, or Doyle. So I'll tell you. I have Hunter Henry in the same tier as these guys, but I'm not going to own Hunter Henry. I, you know what? I do want to own some Hunter Henry. Look, I owned him last year, and this kid is really good. He's proven that in the red zone, he is a target that will get it done. You want to talk about an efficient player? He he. His results, when targeted, were excellent. Now, I know we keep saying Antonio Gates. Joe Pisapia is of the belief that the old man finally goes off to the sunset this year. Maybe that does happen. I think this is Gates last year as well. Yeah, even if, but I, I think we will see a changing of the guard. I know Philip Rivers loves him, but I think this kid is too talented. I'm not going to overreach for him, but I do want to have a share or two because if this kid does blow up. I'm fine with that, but... Last year, he was a guy I got excited for. I thought we would start to see the change in the guard last year. We only really got to see Henry when Gates missed time. My fear is Hunter Henry is going to be the primary tight end, but much like we have like these goal line running backs, mm-hmm. we're going to have a goal line tight end where they're going to get close and Antonio Gates is going to come in. Well, did Gates get that record last year? Did they just I, fall believe, short? I think he's just short of yeah, it. Yeah, so I think you know once Gates gets that record... I think I think they move on. I I would imagine so, but it just seemed even last year like Gates was a shell of himself. But in the red zone, that was who Rivers was going to. <coughs> they just trust him there. So I worry about that. Plus all the mouth to feed the wide receivers. We all know about that. So I think Henry is going to be one of those guys who, at the end of the year, you're going to look at his numbers and be like, all right, he had a good year. But you're going to look week by week, and you're just going to want to pull your hair out. And that's what I feel like happens a lot with tight ends. You wait for tight ends. You take a guy late. You end up streaming by week like three or four. Like I did it with Kobe Fleener last year. Yeah, but I'd rather do that than pay the high price. I just I'm not going to do. It. You know what? If I'm going to take a tight end in the third round in a six point touchdown league, I'll take Aaron Rodgers. I, I'd rather do that. I, and 
when I see somebody take a tight end and a quarterback in the first four rounds, I mean, the first three rounds I think is insane, but you do see this, a tight end and a, and a quarterback in the first four rounds. I think that just puts you at such a disadvantage in the skill positions. I don't, you know, that's very tough to pull that off. No, I, I agree with that. So, I mean, these are some tight ends that we're going to be targeting. I feel like if you get later than these guys, that's where you're just kind of hoping to get lottery tickets. There's a lot of talented players still in the pool. I mean, it depends if you're a believer in C.J. Fedorowicz or if you thought he was just a potential uh, a product of Brock Osweiler not being able to throw the ball down the field. If you think Kobe Fleener's second year in the offense, they said he was struggling to learn the playbook last year. You know, the, the rookie guys, uh, Cameron Braid is another guy I know you like. Don't sleep on Braid because they are going to run the 12-man personnel. They want the two tight ends on the field. And this kid really shown what he could do last year. So he's a guy that I would – I think O.J. Howard is an immense talent, was the right pick for them. It's the offense that they do want to run. But do not sleep on uh, Cameron Britt. They even talked about playing him in the slot. They do like this kid. He has talent. I think he might be one of the best values later on. Yeah, I mean, there's Evan uh, Evan Ingram. There's David Naku. I, 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 I'm going to struggle saying his name uh, David all the and time. Joku, I'm yeah. going to struggle. I mean, Joku's only 20 years old. He I is, like his upside ability. He is just Both of those guys can't block, though. Yeah, and Ingram is, to me, for maybe 2017, he's the guy that, out of the rookie class, I like the most because the Giants are going to throw a ton. And they're going to go four wide receiver sets. And he's basically a wide receiver yes. more than he is a tight end. And I think he'll give... Uh, you know, the Giants in the red zone are going to have nice options. you got Odell, Brandon Marshall, and even this kid Ingram. Uh, Eli does like to target the tight end, so this might be another guy. He's not somebody I'm really drafting in a 16, maybe in a 20-round draft you want to take a shot on. Somebody to keep on your watch list. Yeah, I mean, we didn't, we haven't even mentioned, like, Charles Clay, Jason Witten, Julius Thomas now in Miami, Dwayne Allen now going to be playing that secondary role in, in – uh, the, with the Patriots, Cook in Oakland, Vernon mm-hmm. Davis. People are hyping up Austin Sperry and Jenkins. There's, tight end is deeper than ever. I Austin just, Hooper in Atlanta. Austin Hooper. I, I just think outside the top 13 guys, you're going to be struggling week to week. That's why I want to ensure I get one of these guys mm-hmm. I like with the high upside. But when we come back, we'll talk a little wide receivers. I wrote some names, not just you know high end guys, trying to go a little deeper. So we'll do that when we return. Weekend Fantasy Update. Welcome back. Weekend Fantasy Update. Matt Modica, Mike Florio here talking some fantasy football. We just spoke about some tight ends we like, we don't like. going to jump into some wide receivers. These are guys who, you know, we're not going to talk about Julio Jones and Odell Beckham. You know you want those guys on your fantasy team. <laughs> so I, I wrote down a couple of guys who I like based on where I'm seeing them get drafted. The first guy, I would own him everywhere if I can get him in the fourth round come draft season, you know, in, in a couple months. I'm getting him in the fourth round now. I think he's going to climb. It's Terrell Pryor. Yeah, I don't think that's happening, Mike. I hate to break the news <laughs> to you. Last Sunday night when I started the latest draft champion, I, I had taken him on the 3-4 turn in my previous draft, and in this one, he went 20th overall. 
He went in the second round, I believe, in the FSTA draft the other day. Yeah, there's just too much love for this kid. I I really like him. I'm not gonna probably be, I'm not gonna be paying a second round price, but like late third to early fourth is where I think he belongs. Maybe you want to say mid third. So I think you know it's not July fourth yet. Come August fourth, I think he's a high-end third-round pick, and some people will take him in the second. And I don't blame them, man. We saw what he did last year in Cleveland. I think he's going to be even more polished this year. I mean, remember, he was a quarterback up until like a couple years ago. So they were saying you know, his route running was still – he was still working on that. With a better quarterback in the best offense he's ever been in, and Kirk Cousins has already said, we need to get Terrell Pryor this ball, the ball as much as we can. So – I, I really like him. I think he could be a good red zone presence for them. He's a big-bodied guy. I think early, like somewhere in the third round, I would also take him there. If he starts to get to the mid-second round, that's probably where I'm going to be passing on him. But I like him a lot. Yeah, in the online championship I did a couple of weeks ago, which is a 20-round draft. We play it out. Throughout, you know, There is in-season pickups, and there is a $100,000 overall on I had the eighth pick, and I started out Beckham, Baldwin, Watkins, and Pryor. And I just totally loved that. But, I mean, Watkins, I mean, uh, excuse me, Pryor at best would be your number three now. Might have to be your number two. That's what, you know, as long as you have that solid wide receiver one, I could see taking the uh, taking him as your number two. But you got to, you, you know, if I start off a running back, and then I got to make him my number one. I'm a little suspect to do that. If he's my number two, I feel better. I mean, I really want him as my number three, being honest with you. Yeah. But I, I, the one thing I will continue to preach is you'll be fear-mongered to death about you have to take your running back. I don't believe it. I believe in you can go the wide receiver route, go heavier on the wide receivers, and still get some good running backs. But just to be clear, Matt wants him as his number three. That's That says his third pick. Because, Matt, you're going to start more than likely, right? Uh, more than likely, I will start wide three wide receivers, yes. Because if if, I think a lot of people hear wide receiver three and they think like a guy around 30th wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, no. That's no. not the case with That's him. not the case. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play in PPR leagues. I mean, I, I think if you're not, you kind of I'm, – I'm not saying you're doing it wrong – but even ESPN has gone to the PPR default. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to base it off of that. I understand paying, like, in the late second round, say if it's DeAndre Hopkins and Terrell Pryor, I got to decide on. As much as I love, you know, I think DeAndre Hopkins is a hell of a wide receiver. I don't like that quarterback situation there. And, you know, I, I for fantasy, I love Kirk Cousins. Me too. And as you said, prior, or if you go back to his combine, as an athlete, is just a freak. You know, look what he, as you said, look what he did in Cleveland with no quarterback. Now he's got Cousins. He's got a, uh, a wide receiver opposite of him in, in Jamison Crowder, who they love to. And there's plenty of balls to go around. There's not a team that's going to throw the ball over 600 times. So you got him. If Doxon can get on the field and be the slot guy, Jordan Reed can stay healthy. This is a hell of an offense. Cousins was third in passing yards last year. The touchdowns just wasn't there. That's why I like him. That's why I like Terrell Pryor. That's why I like his their teammates, Jamison Crowder. Crowder last year, 99 targets, 67 catches, 847 yards, and seven touchdowns. And I know people may worry Josh Doxson is going to be healthy. Terrell Pryor is now there. But the way I look, I mean, they lost Garcon and Deshaun Jackson. That's 214 targets just vacated. So there will be plenty to go around, especially... I mean, I, I like P. Ryan a lot. 
I think they're going to be a pass-first offense, and they're mm-hmm. going to pass plenty. So I think this offense could sustain two wide receivers. Yeah, and the, the crazy thing in my, in my latest uh, best ball that I'm doing here in the NFFC, I got Jamison Crowder in the eighth round. That's crazy. I mean, I was shocked. I was happy. I got. I mean, he's a guy that we love on the field, but he's coming off a big injury. Keenan Allen fell to me in the fifth round. And to me, Keenan Allen right now is a borderline top 20 receiver for the fact that he's saying that he's 85% healthy. He's not coming out saying he's 100%. There's a lot of mouths to feed there. If he's 100% healthy, Keenan Allen's a borderline top 10 receiver. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not putting his talent down, but a guy coming off of a major injury and saying he's only 85% is going to give me a little... A little bit to pause, and they have plenty of weapons there as well. And you got Anthony Lynn now stepping in, so he's going to put his handprints on that offense, and he loves to run the ball. Yeah, and, and speaking of Crowder, I mean, we we all like Golden Tate and Jarvis Landry, and you know, the fourth round, you could wait a round or two later and get Jamison Crowder, who I think in a PPR league isn't a similar elk. I I would not be surprised at all if Jamison Crowder catches ninety passes this year, which is why we all love Tate and and Landry. Yeah, I mean, it It makes for interesting debate. I think, uh, like, I've had to make a decision when I drafted my first quarterback this year between, like, Jameis Winston and Kirk Cousins. And I think as the summer progresses, Jameis Winston has become a lot more expensive than he currently is now. There's just way too much. I think he's going to be the sixth quarterback off the board. Yeah, and he's just, there's just way too much love for him. So I think... I have him in one or two spots, but there is some risk with him too. He does need to make some improvements to his game, so that needs to happen, especially with like yards per attempt and adjusted yards as well. Kirk Cousins is a, is already there, and Kirk Cousins has, as we're stating, he has at least three solid options as well with Pryor, Crowder, and Reed. And look, Winston does have some great options as well, but. You know, I'm just saying, it's an interesting thing if my point just being is if Winston does climb up, I'm not I'm not worried about taking Cousins. If, I, if, if my consolation prize is Cousins, he might be the guy to take anyway. Another guy I like a lot, I think he's, I understand he's more of a best ball guy, but I like Smokey John Brown. I mean, this was a guy who two years ago was a thousand yard receiver. Last year, we all had high hopes for him and, and you know, he kind of fell off the face of the earth. It came out after the season that he was dealing with the sickle cell trade, and they say that's under control. I know that's risky. He also had a cyst on his spine that has since been removed. It could be coach's talk, but John Brown himself has said he feels like like he's himself again. Last year he wasn't himself. And Bruce Arians came out and was like, last year was not him. It was not John Brown. This year he's back to being Smokey, the guy that we know could stretch the field. He's going to be one of our go-to guys. And we saw it last year. The Cardinals were really searching for someone to step up. Mm -hmm. They had Fitzgerald in the slot. They threw the ball. They targeted David Johnson 120 times and Fitz 150 times. They they had no one to stretch the field. They were searching for anyone, Michael Floyd, John Brown, J.J. Nelson, anyone to step outside and be that number two guy, you know, to to really be the, the main threat on the outside. I think John Brown is that guy this year. I'm somewhere in the middle between Jake and Corey. I know Jake's really high on him. He has him like 25th or 27th. Corey wants no part of him. 
I'm in the middle there. I, I do. And if you look at Carson Palmer's last nine games last year, he averaged 285 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Carson Palmer was a lot better than people think in, in that second half of, of the year. So I don't think Carson Palmer is dead. He did come off of a of an incredible season the year before. We, we knew there was going to be some pullback. But I think, you know, he's getting pushed back maybe a little too far now. And at John Brown's current price, I do like him. It it all depends on how expensive he does get. I, I have to be in the same class as you because I want to own John Brown, but if he starts going 25, 27 wide receiver off the board where Jake has him, I'm not going to. I, I think he's more in that 30 to 40 wide receiver range. A guy <laughs> who you'd settle for as your wide receiver three, but you'd rather be your wide receiver four. Yeah, I think yeah, look, I, I I think you make a you, you you do make a good point, and like we're going to see training camp in a, in in a couple more weeks. You know, we got this dead period. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're just praying guys don't do anything stupid. Nobody gets arrested. Nobody, you know, God forbid, does any assaults and stuff. I will say this though, I like to draft kind of like like I want a, a running back in the first two rounds, and ideally one. A second one through five rounds. Like I, I like to come away. So realistically, I would want John Brown to be my wide receiver four, ideally my wide receiver five. Mm-hmm. But for those, you know, in his range, he's going to be, I would imagine, a borderline top 36 to 40 wide receiver. So that puts him in that wide receiver three range. Another guy I like, our Buffalo Bills, Zay Jones. This is a rookie who they... Everyone gave said uh, hyped up his hands and his route running ability. He's not a stretch the field, great athlete kind of guy, but he can get open, catch the ball, possession receiver. And I think that's what the Bills are missing. I know Sammy Watkins is going to dictate all the targets when he's there, but they have to throw the ball to the other side of the field occasionally. You know, I think Zay Jones is going to eat those targets up, and I think Zay Jones, if Sammy Watkins misses time, could be very highly targeted. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you're talking about, there is. I keep using the term, a wealth of targets available in Buffalo. Sammy Watkins is a supreme talent. That's why I, I just advocate drafting him in the middle of the third round. It's not like you're paying a high second-round price anymore. This is a guy, if he if he does stay healthy, can win you can win you leagues. And Zay Jones is going to be part of that opportunity. There. Yeah, I, I think he's more talented than Robert Woods. Me too. We'll talk more about this and uh, some other wide receivers that we like when we come back on the fantasy weekend fantasy update. Welcome back. One last time. Fan- week of Fantasy Update. Before we give you over to the king, the racing prince, and the father and son NASCAR hour, we just spoke about a lot of wide receivers. How about some quick hits on running backs? I mean, Matt, I know you love Kareem Hunt. I do. Uh, like I said, it's a bad opportunity. The guy he's got to beat out is where. I just don't think where is that good. We, we saw last season, okay, maybe he was a little banged up at times, but they... Third round pick. Some people might not seem like a lot, but it is, it is for Andy Reid. I think this is the perfect situation. They've moved on from Jamal Charles. This kid was in a small school, so he didn't get the notoriety that some of the other guys get, and everything that he seems to offer. It, look, it may not happen week one or week two where he's the guy, 
But if I'm drafting heavy wide receivers, I'm going for guys hoping to nail like Isaiah Crowell in the fourth. I want players like Danny Woodhead who could be PPR gold. I want Kareem Hunt type athleticism. Theo Riddick guys who do it year after year. They just got to be healthy. So it's all about your comfort zone. If you like, like you say, you like to have that one running back early. Okay, that's how that's how you like to do it. That's fine. There are so many ways to go about it. It's more about how you just have a plan. That's yep. my main thing. Have a plan of execution and have an idea of where certain players are, and don't be afraid to get your guy. Yep. And also, I think one thing that fan, I always say to people: you have a plan, but be willing to adjust. Have a backup plan as well, because. I want a, a, a top running back, but maybe, you know, I'm in the middle of the first round. I take one of those wide receivers. I'm banking on, like, a DeMarco Murray or Jordan Howard falling. If it doesn't work out that way and, and you know, like a Des Bryant falls me, I, be willing to take that other player. Another running back I'm going to own, I think, a lot this year. And it, it kind of sucks because last year Ty Montgomery was my guy. I'm still a believer in him. But I think I'm going to have a lot of Jamal Williams as more of a just-in-case Ty Montgomery doesn't work out kind of pick. Yeah, I, I've got some shares of uh, Jamal Williams. I mean, if he he's going like 10th round a little later, and I'm fine with that at that price. I'm getting a guy that – I still think Montgomery, regardless, even if Williams does become the guy, Montgomery is going to have value in PPR leagues. He's, he's going to be, be the pass catcher, no yeah, doubt about it. Yeah, he's going to be the third down back. And I, I also look forward to seeing how he can, uh, how he can uh, play coming in – with the offseason and having that full year of being the running back. Now, like, you know, last year they pretty much changed his position on him. Yep. And I think he did a, he did a, a valiant job. So He did. He did only have one game, though, with double-digit carries. So I the reason I like Jamal Williams because I could see each of them getting 8 to 10 carries mm-hmm. a week and Montgomery getting all the passing down work. The only thing is, though, that I think if it was on any other team, Jamal Williams would be the guy everyone wants, but the Packers, they're unique. They're not afraid to, you know, have a guy like Montgomery mm-hmm. and run out the backfield. And you have no running back back there, but, you know, the ball is in the hands of your best player who has plenty of options to throw. As you say, like splitting touches and stuff, look, you don't have to get 30 touches to be successful. And that's why I think even in Baltimore, a Danny Woodhead and a Kenneth Dixon, when he returns, can both coexist. They're both good players to have. I mean, look at Baltimore last season. They threw the ball second most. He had the second most attempts, Joe Flacco, believe it or not. So, I mean, that's why I love Woodhead. And I think Dixon is a very talented back. I'm not going to sweat Terrence Russ. So he's another guy you can get late. And the last guy I like, I like Joe Williams simply for the fact that the new regime didn't you know, draft Carlos Hyde. They inherited him. I think Carlos Hyde will have a role, but Kyle Shanahan, the story is that he was – in their mm-hmm. you know, draft room screaming that I have to have this guy. I think they have a big plan for I him. I agree. I just wouldn't write off Carlos Hyde yet. I mean, I got him in the seventh round of a draft. Oh, that's, that's a great crazy. value. That, that I mean, is... that's people just like passing up this kid. I, I don't care what they're saying in San Francisco. He's the most talented guy right now. Well, Matt, thanks for, uh, for joining us on the Weekend Fantasy Update. For Matt Modica, I'm Mike Florio. Maybe next week we'll get the band back together. We'll get Joe Galina and Frank Sanfalin. Matt's always welcome to join as well. Uh, Stay tuned for Fantasy Father and Son NASCAR Hour. Scott and Sean Angle.